Hello, and welcome to an episode of Cat the Baker. I'm Chef KB. So the most important thing in any scenario, be it at work, be it a relationship, friendship, it's communication, right? That's the most important thing. The problem is we all communicate in different ways. We're all different personality types based upon our upbringing, based upon our genes, based upon our traumas, our successes. We are who we are based on all of these things, right? So I'm a person that needs to have lists. It's just who I am. And I think that makes me a good pastry chef, having lists. I know it sounds crazy. And yes, we're all different amounts of crazy. The key in life is your crazy has to match another person's crazy, right? Like in a relationship, because really we're all different levels of insanity. Like that's the truth. And the older I get, the more I realize this. The older you get, the more set in your ways you become. And it actually does become harder to find somebody there are more and more things that you won't settle for that narrows the kind of person you're willing to put up with you know like I know it sounds maybe depressing maybe I don't know but you're not willing to put up with anything you have lists I have lists there's pros and cons <laughs> so, so for instance I have lists at work right like lists I have to do in the office, on the computer. I have lists of events that I have to fulfill. I have lists of what I have to give to my people in pastry. I have lists for everything. I have lists at home. I have lists of the things I need to garden. I have lists of the things I need to hang up. I have lists of the things I need to fix. I have lists of the things I need to cook. I have lists of the things I need to eat in my fridge. I have lists of the things I need to buy from the grocery store. I mean, yeah, when I put it like that, it sounds crazy. <laughs> but this is how I function, okay? I have lists. And the thing is, the more pressing something is, the more lists I create, you know, for that thing. For instance, if I have an event, I have lists of the pastries I want to make and in what order. Everything is a list, but different priority. This is how my brain functions. Sometimes I cannot sleep because I have so many lists going on and it's overwhelming. <laughs> and again, I know this sounds crazy, but if you look at it as we're all different levels of crazy, then come on, like I'm human, right? Like that's, <laughs> it doesn't sound that crazy. In a relationship, you know, I thought that, for example, my ex-fiance, he would know that I have all these lists and he would say, just write them down. And it blew my mind. You know, first of all, that he cared enough to actually be concerned, which, <laughs> you know, in relationships, I have low levels of um, expectation. Or maybe I do. Maybe my levels are so high of expectation and they never meet that point that in the end it's like oh <laughs> he cares enough <laughs> to tell me to write down my lists or the more lists I have the less I sleep and the less I sleep the colder my feet get like I have cold feet 
it's a thing. I think women in general are colder than men. Like men are always just hot-blooded. It's like they're, I don't know, a different, different type of human. So then my ex-fiance would say, let me get you an electric blanket. Again, blown away. <laughs> like I never would have thought of this. And the thing is, in my professional life, I would say I have more confidence than in my personal life as far as relationships go. The older I get, the more relationships I'm in, the more therapy I have, the more I realize my patterns, you know? So like, your crazy has to match another person's crazy, right? Like some people might have a high amount of crazy. That kind of has to match. Otherwise, you're not gonna be attracted to this person. For instance, I have a very good friend. She, in my eyes, is the most confident person. Like she just knows what she will and won't put up with. She would always tell me, like, what are you doing? Like, why why would you put up with this? You know, and, and she would just have a black and white line. She's like, no, I'm not going to put up with this, and it's over. And the thing is, there's things I won't put up with, but it doesn't mean it's over. And I guess I always had lower confidence in relationships. But if I look back, you know, you look back at where you came from, at what you grew up with. And that's not everything. You can't blame everything on your upbringing. But when you realize those patterns, you can start to release them. You know, my parents had a dysfunctional marriage. I'm going to say that. That was what I saw. And it shaped me partly into, you know, who I am and who I'm attracted to. So, like, basically, in relationships, you know, you mirror I guess, what kind of a person you're attracted to. Like, the person you marry, the person you date, they show you a side of yourself, of who you are. It's a type of mirror and also shows you what you need to learn, in a sense. And if I look back at the relationships I've had, there are a lot of similarities based on my parents' relationship and the dysfunctionality and what you'll put up with. At work, I don't put up with a lot. You know, I'm black or white. And I've been called out on it because in emails, I'm very to the point. If I need to know something, I'm emailing you for a reason. If I were to randomly email people at work, that would be weird. <laughs> you know, if I'm emailing you, I want something from you, right? In life, in every situation, there's an objective. And this is how it is in acting, in plays. When I went to acting school, my acting teacher said, what is your objective? Why are you in this room talking to this person? You're never just talking. I mean, yes, there's different levels of urgency. Maybe you're trying to get away from somebody or trying to delay some sort of work. So you're gonna talk to this one person because it's a nice maybe sidetrack or you just want to talk for 10 minutes because you've been working hard the last few hours. So for instance, the other day, there was a tasting going on, but the person that said he would get me an espresso forgot. So as I'm working, I'm like, oh, he forgot to get me an espresso. So I go and tell him, by the way, where's that espresso? And then all of a sudden he remembers, he makes me the espresso, and he's talking a lot. Meanwhile, he gives me the espresso, and I want to put some cream in it and sugar. So I'm holding the espresso, 
because I want to, you know, this is, this is my low objective. I need to get cream and sugar in my espresso. My other objective is I need to get back to the tasting so I can take pictures of the plating. Like these are my two objectives. But at the same time, I don't want to be rude. You know, like I'm enjoying the conversation, so I'm going to continue the conversation. But I have other objectives, you know, and this is how it is in life. Like in life, we, for example, there's always something underlying. There's always a reason. There's always something you want from somebody. And I know that sounds harsh, but if you think about it, you know, maybe you're just hanging out socially with somebody and that's your objective. You know, you like this person, you want to hang out with them. Maybe you're getting dinner out of it and it's just a nice time. You know, no matter how small the objective, there's always an objective, you know, or you're confused about some guy you're seeing and you want to talk to this person and clarify things in your mind. There's an objective. In acting, the thing is, there's an urgency in a scene in most cases because of your objective. You know, so in acting school, we would have to think of a prep. You know, basically, if something happens in your scene that's traumatic, you know, how are you going to react in that scene? If you're the person that has to reach this trauma in the scene, you have to have something in your life that you can, I guess, bring it to that level that has that urgency, whatever that may be. And everyone functions differently. You know, what is traumatic to me is not traumatic to somebody else. But what is it in that scene that gives you that urgency, that gives you that level of trauma? You know, so you have to have a prep that works for you, that can bring you to that heightened scene. At the same time, you have to have a task. So in acting school, let's say, you know, you, you have to have something that you focus on in the beginning of the scene. And then this person comes in and has their objective and their prep, and then they're probably going to distract you from whatever you're doing. So for instance, when you're starting out acting, you know, it's not about your lines, it's about your emotional state, what brings you to say your first line, or you put your attention on the person that just entered the scene and how they are acting. You know, are they emotional? Are they upset? What brings you to say your first line based upon their emotional state? And that's life, right? Like if I'm cooking and somebody walks in crying, I'm going to be like, oh my God, what's wrong? You know, unless you're a cold hearted person and you're like so focused on your cooking, which I might be at first <laughs> if I'm doing something detailed, but that's not the point, you know? So I would have to go into class with a task. So like maybe I have a hole in my sweater and I'm sewing it up, you know, simple things. And then you have an objective based upon the scene that you're acting, you know? So maybe my objective is I need to get this sweater sewn because I have to give it to my mother who's leaving in an hour to the airport. And this is her favorite sweater and she needs to take it with her. You know, like there, there's got to be some sort of a connection too. And then this person enters with their objective and they're distracting you from this task. That's adding to your frustration and your urgency of getting this done. But 
you need to tend to this person also. And if you don't tend to them and if you're cold, then this person's going to react in a certain way. And that's life, right? So if you think about your scenarios in life, you have an objective in every situation. And how did I get on this point? I guess because like I have my lists. I have my lists of urgency and I have my lists of non-urgent things. And at work, I just found out I am a certain personality type. I love lists. I love to the point I don't do frills. And that's true. I don't. And like I said, I've been called out on it on work emails because some people, they'll have two sentences of, how are you? How was your weekend? I'm, I, I, can't even, I can't even repeat it because I'm not a frills person. If I want something from somebody, my frill is like putting deer in front of their name. Like that's, <laughs> that's my frill. <laughs> but now I'm like, oh, I hope you're well. I've been forced to add a frill because I don't do that. I just don't. But I have to, to not seem heartless at work because everybody communicates differently. But why would I just be emailing you if I'm trying to just figure out how your weekend was? Like, that's, I don't understand. <laughs> you know? So anyway, I found out I'm very direct to the point. I need resolution. I need this urgency of figuring out. And I don't do gray. In my personal life, my relationships, the people I date, it's all gray. It's it's a mess. <laughs> but at least at work, if I have that black and white at work, okay. Like I have some sort of order. But when there's gray at work, oh my God, it's too much gray. I can't sleep. You know, I need to have some sort of order. You know, and I think it makes me a good pastry chef having lists because if there's an event and I have to do something detailed, which it's all detailed, right? If you make a dough, if you make a croissant dough, let's say, a viennoiserie, you mix the dough day one, it has to prove, you add in your butter, your layers, you fold it. But the thing is you can't do all this at the same time. You know, you mix your dough, it has to proof. So you have to wait like three to four hours. And then maybe the next day, because the dough is soft, you can't fold it all in that day necessarily. So you have to wait the next day to cool the dough and then fold in your butter. But you can't do all your folds that you need to one after the other, because then your dough will tense up. It pulls together. So you have to make your fold. You have to put in your butter, like fold one, you have to let the dough rest 30 minutes. You have to do fold two, let it rest 30 minutes. You know, these things take time. You cannot rush pastry. And I think the more I know about myself, the more I realize I don't have patience, which is probably why I feel pulled to do pastry because it keeps me, it forces me to be more patient. If I could, I would do everything, all of these folds of croissant and all of the steps on the same day, but you just can't. Same as if you use a Paco Jet, right? Like I prefer an ice cream maker because I can cook my custard for ice cream. I can cool it. And even if it's warm, I can still put it in the ice cream machine. It'll take a little bit longer, but I'm still gonna get ice cream. It's all in one. The Paco Jet, for instance, I can't do that. 
I have to make the base. I have to cool it. I have to freeze it all the way. Otherwise, it doesn't function. The Pakujet only functions if you have your item fully frozen. It's the complete opposite of my ice cream machine. Again, I can't do that on the same day. You know, so all these different things based on the technology you have and just the actual scientific structure of the item you're making in pastry, you have to allow for all these steps and all this planning and all these different days. If I make a cookie dough, I mix it, I have to cream it, the butter has to be warm so it can cream perfectly with the sugar. If I don't cream it enough, I'm not going to get the right consistency. It's going to spread too much and it's going to be a mess. So I have to mix the cookie dough properly and it's like warm. I scoop it. I have to scoop it warm because there's no point in me mixing it and then chilling the dough because then I'm going to have trouble scooping it. But now I can't bake it if it's warm because, you know, I've scooped it nicely. But now I have to cool it before I bake it. You know, like these are basic things. When you're in pastry, you know all these steps. It's your job to know, right? And the more you do it, it's based on trial and error. It's the same in life. The crazy stuff you do in life and the reactions you get from other people or the relationships you're in, you learn from that, right? Hopefully. <laughs> or you're not crazy and the other person just makes you feel crazy, which is controlling and a different level of relationship. Most relationships are a level of control. If you look at it, you know, you want this person to do this. You want them to not eat your ice cream. You want them to clean their dishes. You want them to cook for you. You want them to pay attention to you. You know, I mean, these are all different levels of loving and control at the same time. You know, there's a balance. Like in everything, there's a balance. But because of these different steps at work, they create different lists in my head, you know, and different levels of urgency. So I need to tell my staff what things to mix on certain days so that we can cool it, so then we can cut it out, and then we can bake it. Or you have to make the base, cool it, we have to freeze it. You know, there's all these different steps. And if a dish has five, six components, you have to take all these things into consideration. And this might take four days before you have the actual product. So if a chef or a sous chef tells me they have an idea and they want me to execute it, and it's not in my mind, you know, this is not my idea. I need to know it's only white and black. There cannot be any gray because it's not my vision. You know, I'm executing somebody else's vision. I have to know 100% what's going on. But this person's communication is very different than my communication. Basically along the way, it's all gray. And it's so frustrating. So if I'm told I have to make 130 of something and it's not a mold, I have to make something that looks, for instance, like a vegetable, but it's not the actual vegetable. You know, it's a different texture and it's made to look like a vegetable. You know, I'm trying to plan 130 of these. I have to basically give direction to have one of my staff make this times 130. And then the next day, 
all of these 130 things are made. And then the chef says, I told you, you only need 10. I'm like, no. And then he's like, I told you five times, you only need 10. I'm like, no, you did not. <laughs> and then come the actual day of the tasting, I only need two. I'm like, mm, you didn't say that either. My point is, I like lists. I need white and black and I can't do gray at all because I have so much gray in my personal life and <laughs> my dating. I need that white and black, black and white at work. And yeah, it's interesting because without communication, nothing's going to work. How can you get anything done? If you can't communicate to the other person what you need, in what order you need it, how urgent it is. I'm not a mind reader. Most people aren't. There are some mind readers out there, I'm sure. But, um, <laughs> you know, same within a relationship. If you don't like something, you have to tell the other person. It depends on how you say it. It depends on how you word it. And that can be tricky. You either offend the other person or the other person thinks you're just criticizing them constantly. And then they're like, no, this isn't going to work. We're not vibing. Or something keeps happening, the same thing that you don't like, but you never say anything and you put up with it. And there's different levels of that. You know, why do you put up with it? These are small things. Like, let's say you don't like that the person showers in the morning. You want them to shower at night so that they're clean in your bed. <laughs> or they won't wash the dishes after you've cooked them a meal. Or they've cooked a meal themselves and they won't clean the dishes and then in the morning there's all these dirty dishes I mean there's different levels of what you'll put up with right like if you constantly criticize somebody all the time nobody wants that like you're in a relationship because there's a give and take and you want to feel loved right like in the end we just want to be appreciated we want to feel loved we want to be seen and if a person starts to know us more and more and they see our level of crazy, you know, and it matches with their level of crazy, you can support each other and help each other and find solutions, you know, and make your lives easier. And you feel loved. And that's the hard part is finding that other level of crazy, <laughs> like that level that's compatible to you. And I think about that more and more because I'm dating. <laughs> I feel like I'm always dating. But yeah, there's less and less that I'm willing to put up with. But, and I realize this, I do more and more things by myself because I want to see something or I just want to do it. You know, I'm an adventurous person. I tend to initiate. So, you know, I don't care if I just met a person, but I will just be like, hey, you want to do this and that? I'll just initiate. And maybe sometimes it's too much. Whatever, there's all these rules of dating, like you can't do anything too soon or too late, or I don't know, I don't understand. If I want to do something, I just say it. And I remember my first roommate, when we were talking about guys, and like when you first meet a guy, you know, you're not supposed to text them right away, or basically she'd say, treat somebody as you would want to be treated. Which, I mean, isn't that in the Bible? <laughs> like... And yes, that's true, you know, and she'd say that and I'd be like, that's so true. If I want to do something, if I want to say how much I liked, you know, somebody doing a certain thing or if, if I liked what somebody said, 
I want to tell them how much I liked it. You know, you grew up with your parents and you saw their relationship or maybe they're single, you know, I mean, whatever you had growing up, you saw how your mom, your dad interacted, you know, with each other or with people they were seeing. And all those things leave a mark or based on the movies you've seen or based on the experiences your friends had, you know, all of these you note in your brain, right, along the way. Like my parents had a very dramatic relationship. It was very dramatic. You know, my mom was very expressive and very loud. She would say what she wanted. She would yell what she wanted. And my dad was very, like the louder somebody got, the more he would pull back. You know, he wouldn't necessarily emote what he was feeling or thinking. He would be like a turtle, you know, and step more and more into himself. Meanwhile, the more he would step into himself, the more expressive and emotional my mom would get. Growing up, I always thought, why is she being so loud? Like, I don't understand. And I always thought these arguments were her fault. And it's like nobody's fault. Like she was just expressing her emotions and what she wanted from my dad. And they had different ways of communicating, which was complete opposite. If she was upset, they were having an argument, instead of them talking it out, like first of all, my mom was so emotional that she couldn't talk about it. She would yell because it probably got to the point that it was like, she probably let it get too far. And then you just get angry and then you can't even express yourself right. But then my dad wouldn't even express himself at all. And he would go in the other direction and then they wouldn't talk anything out and he would leave and drive away which is the worst thing you can do. And then my mom would take his clothes and shred them outside from her bedroom window and throw them out the window into our front yard. And we lived on a main street. It looked crazy. <laughs> I mean, they would sometimes have violent arguments and she didn't know, like if you tell somebody what you want and it's not happening, you know, you get angry. And she would get angry to the point that she didn't know how else to express herself and it would lead to violence, you know? So it would be like throwing clothes out of the window or scratching my dad or one time we were in Germany and they had an argument and we would visit Germany a lot because we would go to the orthodontist, you know, <laughs> like we lived in England and we'd go to the orthodontist for our teeth and they had this argument and that day we were driving back to England but my mom was so upset we were all in the car myself and my two older brothers and she just drove away and she left my dad standing there like in Germany we all drove to England and we're like what like what is happening you know and like these are all traumatic situations like I'm looking behind me and I see my dad just standing there and she's driving away was that healthy? No. You know, but out of frustration, my mom was probably like, fuck it. <laughs> I don't need him. <laughs> you know, I'm leaving. And that was one of the times where I wasn't sure if my dad would actually come back. Like he just decided to stay in Germany for, for a few weeks, even though they had their own business, you know, and he had to work. Certain moments in life stand out. And I was always just confused 
what was happening, what did my dad not do, what did he do, and all these situations, all these traumas, if you will, like shape you into what you will put up with in a relationship. Should they've communicated better? Yes. Should they probably have separated? Yeah, probably. <laughs> and at one point they finally did and there just wasn't drama at home. And we all did better in school. We were all happier. Kids, we know when something's wrong. You know, be it your brothers, your family members, your parents, you know how, how everybody communicates within that family. If they communicate differently, if they don't talk, if they're quiet, whatever, you know something's wrong. And as kids, doesn't matter how young you are, you know when something's wrong. There's a feeling, there's a vibe. And yeah, I always know. I always knew when something was wrong, you know, and I was always trying to fix everything and patch everything up and make everybody feel better. And I've realized in myself based on all these disappointments of all these relationships I've had, maybe every time it pulls me back a little bit more. And I do more by myself because there's less disappointment. You know, I know myself. I know if I plan something, I'm gonna be there, I'm gonna show up and it's gonna happen. If I invite somebody into this realm, now there's an expectation, you know, and maybe I shouldn't have that, but that's like a normal thing for me. I don't know, if I invite somebody to do something with me, I'm thinking this can either turn out great or they can cancel on me and it's not gonna happen, which I most likely plan for because in my mind, what I've learned is that I cannot necessarily depend on other people. And basically I almost expect disappointment. But yeah, that's, that's like total therapy session right there. And I, you know, I'm working on it and I've realized this is why I do more and more things by myself because there's less chance for disappointment. The thing is, I'm not antisocial. Like I'm a social person and I don't want to be social every day because that's like a lot of energy. Like I'll be social and want to hang out with people and then I'll pull back and, you know, do my gardening or go swimming or do my alone things. And I'm fine with that. You know, but there's a balance. You don't always want to do things alone and you don't always want to be social all the time. There's this balance, right? And everybody has this balance. And in, in the end, it's how you communicate. Like even in a relationship, there's love languages. Like what makes you feel loved? Is it if somebody does the dishes or if somebody vacuums and takes away your chores? Is it if they come to you with flowers or gifts? You know, is it if, you know, they hold your hand or, or kiss you? You know, like there's all these different levels of your needs right and everybody has different levels of this so like for me it's if somebody cooks for me like that is like the biggest thing but they have to do the dishes you know let's say they make this intricate meal and they do it in your kitchen but they leave everything messy you know that's not cool <laughs> right there's just different levels and balances so i guess what this all is leading to is my first serious relationship my marriage based upon my parents relationship the tumultuous relationship 
I didn't want to date, but I wanted a connection. You know, I wanted somebody to see me in a romantic way and I would date, but they were always different levels of weird. Like they were controlling and it's like I was doing all the initiating. I was doing all the sweet things, giving cards or cooking. I love romantic comedies growing up. You learn a lot based upon what you see in the movies. There's what you experience in life from your friends or your parents. And then there's other influences based upon celebrities or movies. You know, like all these things play a part in how you perceive the world, how you act in society, etc. You know, so if, yeah, if you go on a date and somebody brings you flowers, like in a romantic comedy, you're like, oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> or, you know, if they pay for the date, like the guy, like there's certain expectations of when you go on a date. When I met my first serious relationship, let's call him Archie. <laughs> I don't know how I came up with that name. Complete different name, but I have to go in a completely different direction with this name. At the time, I was living in New York. I would work at a restaurant as a greeter at Houston's, which I've talked about, which is a steakhouse. But at the same time, I would go out for auditions. I went to this reading. So basically, it was an audition to act in a reading, which means, you know, you're a character in this play, but the play's not put up yet. You're trying to find investors to put it up, for instance. I got cast in this reading, and there was an after party. And the after party was in New Jersey. I was living in New York, and I had no way of knowing really how to get to New Jersey. First of all, I had to take a bus to New Jersey, which, okay. I really, at that point, just did the subway. And, <laughs> you know... Mainly when you live in the tri-state area, in the boroughs, oftentimes you don't want to go to New Jersey. Even though I ended up living in New Jersey, that's not the point. When you live in New York, most people don't go to New Jersey when they live in New York. Like, it's rare. And if they do actually show up to New Jersey, they really like you. You know, because even cab drivers, they don't even want to drive to New Jersey. Because they got to take the tunnel, there's additional taxes... There aren't people in New Jersey that you can pick up right away and make money on the other side. You know, you have to get back to the city and all of this takes away time and money. So even cab drivers don't even like New Jersey. But the point is, I was on this bus and across from me was this man, man-child, boy. <laughs> he was a man, I think. And he was playing like pretend piano, you know, as if he played the piano. And I love, I love it when men play an instrument like that for me is a huge turn on. So I'm like, oh my God, he plays the piano. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He didn't. Number one, he fooled me. The point is he was moving his hands as if he played the piano. He was listening to... I want to say an iPod. Remember those big iPods, the first ones, those white ones? He had an iPod. Back then, you know, you didn't have all these stations, whatever, on your cell phone. It was either maybe still a Walkman, and that was like old school. 
And by the way, I just found my Walkman, which is super exciting. <laughs> but he was listening to an iPod. I go to the bus driver and say, you know, where and where is this stop? Like it was a certain stop. And he heard me say that. And he's like, I'm going to that stop too. Turns out the playwright that I acted in for this, you know, that I read in for this reading, this was his nephew. He walked me to basically where this after party was taking place. All the people that were in this reading, plus other people that his uncle invited. And that's how we met. You know, he wasn't super attractive. See, that's the thing. When you meet people in like natural life, <laughs> you know, back in the day, you didn't have all these apps, right? All these dating apps. You met people in, in life, in scenarios, in circumstances. For me, typically, they were not drop dead gorgeous. You know, they were not the Brad Pitts. And it didn't matter, you know. I mean, yeah, initially, there's something you want to be attracted to, right? But ultimately, it's who that person is. Do they make you laugh? Do they pay attention to you? Do they see you? I mean, these are the important things. Ultimately, you know, and this has happened, and I was saying this a few weeks ago to a friend, I have had a lot of pets. My mom has had a lot of pets and I've taken care of them and they've all died. <laughs> Way to be morbid. But the thing is, you know, I've held like my cat. I've had three, three cats, four. I had a few cats. Anyway, one of them died in my arms. She was very sick. I was holding her and from one minute to the next, she died. When you see the soul of that body leave, you're just holding this body. You know, and the reason you love this body is because of their soul. It's because of who they are, how they made you laugh, how they brought you to tears, how they moved you. You know, it's their soul. And then when they die, you just have this body and it doesn't mean anything. You know, the thing that meant so much, like when you're dating in the beginning, what somebody looks like, I mean, it's shallow, but if you look at all these dating apps, that's all it's based upon what they look like, pretty much. I was dating so much to a point that I didn't even read their profile. <laughs> you know, I'm being honest here. And I literally was just like, yeah, he's hot. Let me swipe on that. <laughs> you know, like, I didn't have time to read everybody's profile. Okay. I was trying to find a date for that night. And I did. There were like a couple months there where I had a different date every night. And number one, I was trying to get over my relationship. And number two, I just wanted to be distracted. Yeah, I dated pretty much all attractive people. I have my insecurities, of course. I'm not unattractive. You know, there's definitely, I'm definitely self-conscious about my thighs and my hips, <laughs> but <laughs> generally I feel pretty good about myself. Looks wise. Could I have less sunspots? Sure. Could I have less cellulite? Sure. But I'm definitely more secure about myself now than I was in my 20s. I was very insecure in my 20s. And the thing is, all the men that I was seeing or dating, they made me feel even more insecure and worse about myself. Like somebody super confident is probably never gonna date somebody super insecure. Like those are two extreme levels. And if they do, 
there's always going to be some sort of jealousy. There's going to be extreme issues. You know, you kind of always date somebody in your realm. So generally, you know, I was insecure and I would pretty much date insecure men. And the more insecure somebody is, the more controlling they are in a certain way. So the men that I would date were very controlling, always made me feel as if I was doing something wrong. And then I would take that as, oh my God, I'm doing all these things wrong. When it was just this cycle that went to negativity, that was my first relationship. We hit it off. <laughs> We're both insecure. But my point was, he was not super attractive. He was not attractive. Let's just say that. <laughs> you know, and I, I was like 21. Looking back pictures at myself, now I'm like... I was so like pretty, I was so attractive, but I didn't see that, you know, I didn't see that in myself. So it's like I would talk myself down and go with these guys that were like not attractive, but I would be like, oh wow, they're, they're showing me some attention, <laughs> you know, and it's so sad. What I'm saying is now everything is based upon looks and dating apps and attractive and unattractive, but my point is, None of that matters, obviously, it doesn't matter. Do I want a muscular guy? Sure, like that's attractive, that's hot. But is that guy an idiot? Is that guy dumb? <laughs> Can I have a good conversation with that guy? There's a more important issue at hand, you know, having this conversation. Initially, yes, these muscles are hot, but that's not a long-term thing. Like ultimately, I want a deep, relationship of somebody that sees me right and then hopefully that person feels the same about how I see them like that's the ultimate goal and everybody has different goals but ultimately we all want to be seen we all want to feel loved and yeah my point is you fall in love with that person's soul you fall in love with that person's being you know the more you get to know them the more you see them the more you do sweet things for them and vice versa. That was my first relationship. He saw me, I thought he saw me. He would do these small things for me, like bring me hot chocolate, like I've talked about at work. He would bring me flowers. This was the first guy that ever brought me flowers. We ended up moving in together. We dated for four years. He proposed to me. The thing is there were a lot of red flags, but this was my first relationship and I thought maybe this is normal. You know, maybe these red flags are normal. We were just opposite. We didn't want the same things. We didn't have the same interests. And when you're young, you try to initially impress the other person. I told him I love to travel. And then he said, yeah, me too. Meanwhile, when it came down to traveling, he wouldn't want to travel with me. He'd always have these excuses. You know, he didn't cook, but I would always bake. I've baked my whole life, but I never saw it as a career or as a profession initially. But even when I was acting and going out for auditions, I would still go home and cook and bake. And for me, that's a love language. If I'm with somebody, I want to cook for them. You know, I want to bake. I would make cakes. I have all these recipes. And this was before I was like actually doing this as a career. Archie, <laughs> he liked box cakes. His first birthday, I made him a cake from scratch because I'm like this is way more impressive than a box cake but he didn't like it so he was an only child and his mom would make him box cakes and like I've talked about the things you like in life goes back to childhood 
when we see things food-wise that are nostalgic, we think of our childhood and how it made us feel. So to Archie, a box cake, he had great memories of box cakes. Meanwhile, I had great memories of my mom making cakes from this German cookbook and it looking exactly like the picture. She'd do every layer of sponge. She'd soak it. She'd fill it with all these layers and creams and fruits. And it was like this beautiful five-layered tort, like this beautiful German cake. So already we had different levels of cake here. I had like masterpiece and he came from a box cake. Okay. For me to make something from scratch, I'm showing him deep love here. <laughs> For me, making something from a box is like, fuck you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm a pastry chef. Like now, yes, I'm a pastry chef. No, I'm not going to make something from a box. But even then, in my 20s, like I came from these amazing cakes. My mom cooked. When my mom baked, it was out of love, truly. And that for me is the same thing. When this person that I'm dating, that I've been seeing, he wants a box cake. So I make him a cake from scratch. He doesn't like it. And he's like, no, I only like the box cake. And to him, he's only ever had that, right? So his mom only ever made him a box cake. And that to him is nostalgic. That to him is his childhood. And that's fine. You know, but already there, we're miscommunicating because we have different levels of like love, right? Based upon what our parents made for us. I'm not saying that my mom loved me more because she made me a tort. <laughs> I'm not saying that I had more love than he did because of our mom's different skill levels. But at the core of it, it was just different and to me birthdays are a big deal and for him it wasn't such a big deal the longer i was with him like i would end up just buying a box and making him a box cake and every time i did it made me feel like shit because yes i knew he wanted this i knew he liked this but it made me mad it like made me angry <laughs> like I think I could probably have a, a, a therapy session just based upon these box cakes. Do they taste fine? Yeah, they taste fine. I think what makes them good is their level of moisture. You know, over the years, yes, I have certain recipes that are more moist. You put different ingredients in them, oil versus butter, cake flour versus AP, like all-purpose flour, like different ingredients to create different levels of moisture. Maybe you add a yogurt into your batter or buttermilk. Already we're miscommunicating there. It was his last birthday that we were together that I was like, yeah, I'm just making this box cake. Like at that point, I didn't care. <laughs> like we went to this one birthday. At that point we were living in LA. We moved to LA. We had our circle of friends and typically we had the same friends like we were married at that point and we would hang out with the same circle of friends obviously and if somebody had a birthday i would make a cake all of these friends they loved they loved my cakes they're like oh my god you know this tastes so amazing meanwhile you know, my husband my ex-husband he won't touch it he won't touch the cakes if it were a box cake he'd probably 
be the first to eat it. And at that point, I would say I emptied my frustrations out and be like, yeah, my husband only likes box cakes, you know, and then somebody came up to me. He's like, I heard that you said that your husband only likes box cakes. Is that right? You know, after he tried my cake. And at that point, I was professionally a pastry chef and working in pastry. And then he like gave me this crazy look as if I married this crazy person because he doesn't like my cakes, you know, and that stuck with me. I feel like if I ever meet somebody again and they prefer box cakes over actual cakes, it can't, it can't happen. <laughs> I'm a pastry chef. I can't be with somebody who likes box cakes, right? This like whole thing stuck with me. Where I'm going with this is we had different levels of communicating in our marriage. And the thing is, there were so many red flags. I remember there was a moment and I forget, I forget what it was that brought us to an argument. And we never had full out arguments. You know, we would just have disagreements because it's like I was almost too scared that something would end. Because even in my 20s, I thought, well, if this doesn't work out, I'm not going to find another person. You know, everything was dramatic. Meanwhile, I'm like, I should have freaking ended it then. You know, <laughs> like, I never should have married this person because we were just different. We wanted different things. We liked different things. But it's almost like we were both too afraid to admit it at that point because we didn't want to be alone or something messed up. I don't know. Here's a funny story. All right. So we had been dating, I want to say like four months. My mom at that point is living in Georgia. I'm living in New York. And my brother is living in Daytona Beach, Florida. He went to college there. My mom's inviting me saying, come down, visit me, and then we'll drive to Florida together to visit your brother and spend time in Florida on the beach and maybe go to Disney. I'm thinking, yeah, you know, that sounds pretty good. But my mom wouldn't just take a few days. She'd be like, no, come down, visit me for like weeks and then we'll visit your brother in Florida. And I'm thinking, I have a job. I can't just come down for weeks. But she would kind of make me feel bad because she's like, I haven't seen you all year. Basically, you owe me this time. <laughs> and I would take off work. I would take off work for basically like a few weeks. And work was like, what? <laughs> but they let me take off. You know, I was hosting. And I would go down there for a few weeks. Meanwhile, I had just been seeing Archie for like three, four months. And he was upset that I was leaving because I'm like, well, I'm going to come back, you know, and he's just like, we've only been dating a few months. You're like leaving for weeks. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to see my family, which looking back, it's like not a big thing, but he made it kind of dramatic. Anyway, I go, I invite him to visit me in Florida. I'm hanging out with my mom, my brother. Archie comes to visit me in Florida. We're staying at my brother's apartment. And one day we decide to go to the beach. So Archie just met my family. And I'm hoping, I hope nothing embarrassing happens. Well, everything embarrassing happens. Because first of all, my mom speaks her mind on everything. She can't keep anything inside. This was like my, my first relationship. This is the first person that I bring to meet my family. Okay. And right off the bat, my mom wasn't very impressed. <laughs> like, 
basically, I'm sure nobody is probably good enough for me in her eyes, you know? So get this, you know, this is like, I'm 21, super embarrassing. We go to the beach, we're in the water, beautiful water. Like this is in Daytona, sandy beaches, clear water, blue you know, I'm in there with Archie in the water, my brother's further back, and my mom's even more further back. Like, she just got in the water. There's waves, you know, perfect day. I'm super happy. I'm trying to be like, okay, this is going well. So far, so good. Nothing embarrassing is happening. Then my mom gets stung by a jellyfish. She screams. Like, she was literally in the water for like two minutes. Like, it just happened. She goes out of the water. She's like screaming. It's super painful. We all go out of the water. We're like concerned. My mom just met Archie like the previous day. She says to him, pee on me to this person that I'm dating. All right. And he looks at me. He's like, what? (laughs) And he says to me, he's like, I'm not going to pee on your mother. Like now looking back, it's so funny. It's so funny. But at the time, it was the most embarrassing thing that could have happened. And I'm just like melting. I'm just, I just want to melt into the sand and have nobody like see me or not be seen. Meanwhile, my mom is like, you know, yelling at this person that I brought to see my family for the first time ever. And my mom wants him to pee on her. (laughs) And I'm like, mom, like, mom, mommy, (laughs) in German. I'm like saying, stop it, stop it. No, and I'm telling my brother, you know, pee on my mom, like pee on her. (laughs) And he's like, I just peed. I just peed in the water. I don't need to pee. (laughs) (laughs) And meanwhile, you know, my boyfriend is like, I'm not peeing on your mother. So that was like... Oh my God. We go back to my brother's apartment and I think ultimately my mom peed and and then she put the pee on her. Because even the lifeguard that was on the beach said, yeah, urine works great or vinegar. He's like, but urine takes the burnout. Like even he was saying, you know, so you've got this lifeguard looking at my boyfriend and my mom is asking my boyfriend to pee on her. Like it was, it was the weirdest thing ever. This is life, okay? Like, this is pretty much how things started (laughs) with (laughs) the person I married. You know, but it's crazy because... And I was always kind of nervous about how my boyfriends view my family. You know, I just always thought, like, my family... My mom was just so German. And my ex-husband would say, he's like, he's like, you're the most normal of your family. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know really what that means. Like I said, everyone is a level of crazy. But yeah, I think I tried to always neutralize situations. My mom was not a good neutralizer, you know, because she would say everything that was on her mind. I was just always on alert thinking, okay, was this just insane of what she said? And I'm like always trying to neutralize. I mean, that's like, (laughs) that's panic right there. When my boyfriends would meet my family and meet my mom and it went well, like it went normal, I'd have a huge sigh of relief and be like, okay, all right, they're accepting of my family. This could work out. (laughs) 
you know, like, because ultimately, if you look at religions, right, like if somebody, let's say, is Christian, and somebody is Jewish, ultimately, somebody has to convert, because when you have children, you want to raise them on the same page. Again, that's communication. There's certain expectations of you want to make your family happy also with the person that you're seeing. If your family is not happy, then you're going to have more complications, right? Like within that relationship, either you separate yourself from your family and just spend time with the person you're seeing, you know, who then becomes priority ultimately, or you find somebody who everybody's happy with. The happier your family is with the person that you're seeing, the like easier it is in your life. And that's, I mean, that's a fact. When I hear of arranged marriages, um, I'm thinking at first when I was younger, I was like, that's crazy. That is insane. You know, I'm thinking I need to be okay with the person that I'm seeing. And yes, you do. But so many less issues arise if your family is also okay with the person that you're seeing. You know, if everybody gets along, like that's the goal. This relationship was controlling. Did I have low self-esteem? Yes, but at the same time, I'm confident. I know what I want. I've always known what I wanted, what I'm passionate about. That was never a question. And I always pursued my passions. That always made me more confident. I've always been good at art. I was good in acting. I am good in cooking and baking. You know, I have certain skills and based on these skills, that has always given me confidence. Even if I didn't have the confidence in myself or always stand up for myself. When it came to my skills, I knew fundamentally I have these skills, you know, and nobody can tell me differently. Do I have doubts sometimes? Yeah. Yeah, I have doubts. There's enough confidence there that nobody can take that away from me. And during my marriage, my ex would talk down to me. Throughout the years, if I didn't bend to what he wanted, he would make me bend to what he wanted. Talk down to me or tell me I would never make more than $10 an hour. And he'd start getting just verbally you know, I don't want to say the A word, but he would just be verbally playing mind games with me and making me feel as if I was being crazy for wanting what I wanted and not for what he wanted. And he would talk down to me. And the thing is, I grew up very quickly. After my mom had her car accident, I would look after her. I would take care of her. My childhood was short-lived. You know, I had a lot of responsibilities early on and it made me independent. My mom was very clear with me on how to cook, on how to clean, like I could do all the basics, and how to take care of my mom when she couldn't. When I met Archie, he was an only child. He never had to do anything really for himself. Everything was done for him. He didn't know how to cook, how to clean. He didn't know basics. He didn't know how to cut a mushroom. He didn't know how to change a fuse. If the toilet was clogged, he didn't know how to lift up the lid and flush the toilet. <laughs> like, you know, basics. So we were very different. But I was independent at the same time because I had to be. 
I had to be at an early age to take care of my mom. And he, he didn't need to be. You know, he was very pampered. He would talk down to me so he could get what he wanted for me, make me feel more insecure. If he did it purposefully, yeah, he did later on, like intentionally. I think early on, he didn't. It was just how the dynamics were. And over time, if somebody talks down to you repeatedly, little by little, it becomes unhealthy. And it did. The relationship became unhealthy. And ultimately, we were just roommates. So the reason I started culinary school was because I was in a car accident. And it shifted my whole direction. I would go to culinary school. I would wake up at 4.30 a.m. I would go to bed at like 9.30 p.m. And he would go to bed later. Like we just had, we were just roommates. We had a separate schedule. He would go out with friends, you know, even... After my car accident, I was on disability and I was in so much pain. Part of my spine was fractured and I had a lot of pain. Like I would faint randomly if I would be standing too much. I had to lay down a lot. I had to rest a lot. And I felt guilty because I couldn't work, you know? So I would try and do stuff at home. I would try and vacuum and keep the house clean. I would walk the dog and feed the cats and, and do all this stuff. But then sometimes I would pass out and I would just feel bad and he would make me feel bad about not being able to work. I went to Italy. Part of my internship from culinary school was to work somewhere for a month and a half. And right when I started culinary school, I knew that this would happen and that I wanted to study in Italy. I met the right person who could help me with this. I did go to Italy, and like I said in a previous episode, it was the most amazing experience. And up until that point, it had been the most amazing experience of my life. When I came back to the US, I was just dreaming of Italy. I had this offer, and it probably wasn't gonna happen because in Italy, they build things very slow. Like things happen slowly in Italy. You know, because my work there was good. I did, I did a good job and somebody offered me a position to work in Italy for like a year. And I proposed this to him. I said, why don't you come with me to Italy? And he freaked out. He said, I'm never gonna leave the US. I'm never gonna leave my family. I said, it's just a year. And we were kind of growing apart. He freaked out. And basically it came down to, because I didn't mention this sooner with Italy, that he, he all of a sudden stopped trusting me he would just talk at me. He could talk to me for like hours and make me feel crazy. And then I would go for a swim and I didn't even know all the stuff that he just said to me. But it was like the most horrible stuff. And it was just all these mind games. It would just make me feel as if I was in the wrong. How could I consider moving to Italy for a year with him? How dare I? Like I didn't realize and based upon my parents' relationship, that maybe to a point, that was normal. The thing is, I didn't stop talking about Italy because I missed it. He one day yelled at me. He said, it's like, it just makes me so angry when you talk about Italy. It's like, if you don't stop talking about Italy, I just feel like I'm gonna hit you. And then all of a sudden, this light went off in my head. He had never ever kind of threatened violence physically. Everything was verbal 
mind games, control. And then I realized this is not right. This is not healthy. You know, and even a few months prior, he had lost his job. He was unemployed and he bought this $2,000 television. You know, I would work, but I didn't make a lot of money. And I said, why did you buy this television? You're unemployed. He's like, because if I'm going to watch TV all day, I want to watch it on a nice big TV. And then he's like, if you can go to Italy, you know, because I did, I went to Italy for my schooling. He's like, if you can go to Italy, then I can buy this TV. And I'm like, what the hell? So everything was just an attack. You know, and if we went to friends of mine and he came with me and he wanted to leave, he would like kick me under the table. If he was unhappy about something, his mouth would get all small and I knew something was wrong. And I'm like, what's wrong? You have a small mouth. And he'd be like, nothing, nothing's wrong. You know what's funny is you know, now, like when I'm dating and the guys talk about their exes, guys always say the word crazy, like she was crazy. Guys would tell me about the scenario and the circumstances. Yeah, I mean, from that perspective, the way they describe it, sure, it does sound a bit crazy. This is just from one perspective and everybody has their point of view. But when women talk about a guy or a relationship that just ended, it's like he was a coward, he was insincere, he was lying, you know, like, <laughs> it's like more in detail. But when a guy talks about an ex, she was crazy, you know, <laughs> like, women are always crazy. I disagree. Our relationship was falling apart and it was obvious. He had already planned to end our relationship. He told his family, which I found out after, he told his parents that he wanted to leave me. And he hadn't told me. He would call his family every day. I didn't know that. What had happened was he had already started seeing somebody else, which I also didn't know. He was trying to make me leave the relationship so that I would end it. And then he didn't have to really explain anything to his family. His family wanted us to do counseling, which I also didn't know. The thing is, when he threatened physical violence, I planned to leave him. Like my cell phone, the car that I had, I made sure I put it in my name. 30 days, I gave myself 30 days to leave him. In that time, I got a storage unit in LA. While he was at work, I packed one box a day of things that I wanted to take. And the thing is, he had already exited our relationship. He had already told his parents he wanted to leave me because he met somebody else. He didn't tell that to his parents that he met somebody else. I mean, I found this out after. He was already out of the relationship. You know, even though he would come home, go out with his friends, go out with other women, whatever. Every day, I would pack a box. People that know me, they know I have a lot of knickknacks. I have a lot of everything, a lot of cooking things, a lot of cookbooks, a lot of art. Every day I would pack a box and I would do it randomly, sparsely, you know, throughout the apartment. And then every day there would be less and less in the apartment. And I would fill up this box, I would bring it to the storage unit and come back home. And I would repeat that the next day. You know, and maybe I'd do a couple more boxes the next day. And I didn't tell anybody. Three people knew. None of our friends that we knew together knew. My mom knew, my brothers knew, and I had two people at work that knew. Nobody else knew because I felt that if I stayed in this relationship, 
he would hit me. I truly felt that. That was not made up. I felt that if I told him that I was leaving, that I would literally only leave with the clothes on my back. He was very manipulative, and I had three cats and a dog, even though he chose the dog, but he didn't take care of her, so she was basically my dog. He had just this amazing ability to manipulate, and I believe that if I had told him I was leaving, he would have used the animals against me and just locked me out or, you know, I wouldn't have been able to see my stuff and take my stuff. And he would use that as a form of control against me. I knew him well enough to know that he would do that. I really, truly believe that. Because he was already manipulating me and telling his family he would leave me, but he never told me, the person he was married to. Every day I pack a box and bring it to storage and come home. My closet was filled to the brim of clothing. Sometimes you couldn't even close it properly because there were so many clothes on hangers. But a few days before I left, I had things hanging, but it was to make it look as if nothing was gone. Obviously, if he had paid attention, he would have seen that, oh, I only have three things on this shelf versus seven. My closet was almost completely empty and he didn't even notice. You know, he was completely just checked out of the relationship. Even one of the last days before I left, he didn't know I was leaving, but he said to me, he's like, if I had the choice to get married again, he's like, I wouldn't. And he said this to me, and we were married. The last 30 days, even though I had all this planned with my boxes, with my storage, I still had to continue as if we were in our marriage, that everything was normal to a point. So we would go to the movie theater because that's something we did a lot. We wouldn't hold hands walking there. We would walk in silence. We had nothing in common. And he would say these horrible things to me and he would just be disrespectful to me. I wouldn't say anything to him. And we were just totally not in this relationship anymore. And at this point he had gotten a job, you know, so he was working and while he was at work, I would pack a box and bring it to storage. The day that I left, there were three other people from work that helped me. They all had cars, and then this is when we took the bulk of the boxes. They helped me pack. I felt like I was having a midlife crisis, and I think I was, you know, when I was 32. I took the pets in my car. My brother, who was living in Seattle, he flew down to help me. I had a couple friends from work. I told them what to pack. They packed it, they put it in their car. We brought everything to storage. I left my storage in LA, and then I drove with my brother to Arizona to my mom, obviously, you know, who knew about this whole thing. And I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know where else to go. I didn't know what the next step would be. I didn't think it would be divorce, but I just needed time away. I needed time away from him. And it was when I was away that I realized how he was treating me, how he was talking to me. We all have moments of insanity. You know, we all have moments of tipping points. It was when I was in Arizona for a few weeks or maybe a week and a half. My ex, I mean, he called me a lot. So what happened was he didn't know any of this was going down, right? So my brother and I, we leave, we drive to Arizona. And as we're driving, you know, a few hours later, he got home 
you know, he arrived home, the furniture's there, all my stuff is gone, the pets are gone, and he calls me nonstop. I don't pick up. Yeah, I'm sure that was a horrible moment for him, you know, but he was already checked out. Like, he wanted me to end the relationship. He never thought that I would end it like this or, you know, that I would pull a move like this. He just didn't see it coming. He wanted the control. So he's calling me nonstop. You know, I'm freaking out. I cancel the credit card. We had a joint credit card in my name. I cancel his. And initially he called me because the credit card stopped working. He didn't know why. He gets home, all the stuff is gone. He freaks out. When I'm driving to Arizona and I'm freaking out because you think that the person you're married to, you can talk to. You can talk to when something's wrong, but it wasn't like that. This was not a healthy relationship. It was when I was in Arizona that I realized this was not a good relationship. I somehow found out that he had been seeing somebody else that he had worked with in the past and that this had been going on for the past six months. And I called his mom. I remember I was pacing outside in my mom's yard. I was pacing back and forth, being like, I should call her, I should call her. No, I shouldn't. And I kept going back and forth. And I was feeling insane. Like my hands were shaking and I call her. And she's like, I don't understand why you left. And I explained that he threatened me by saying he would hit me she didn't believe me and I said he's been seeing somebody else and she's like I don't know about that but she said that he came to her he went to his parents and asking basically that he can leave the relationship and that's when they said we have to go to counseling and that's the first I knew of it that he had already wanted to end it without telling me when I had left for Arizona a few weeks later I got divorce papers his parents got him this high-profile lawyer. And then that's when there was a custody battle between the dog we had, Cassie. He had anxiety issues. Like, sometimes he was so afraid to get on a plane that one time he canceled a trip. So he got a dog thinking it would help him against anxiety. The thing is, he picked out an anxious dog. Like, she was so anxious. He didn't take care of her. So I would take care of her and she basically became my dog and there was this custody battle. It took a couple of years, probably like almost two years for this divorce to end. And we didn't have any property. There was no money. I didn't want any of his 401k, whatever. I didn't care. I just wanted out. The lawyer would send me these papers of I must drop off the dog to his address and you know all these things that he wanted. I had to pay for half of the television that he bought when he was unemployed. And anyway, I refused all of these things. The point was, in that moment, as all this was happening, as I was packing the apartment and leaving, I never thought that I could do something like that. You know, I never thought that a relationship would get to that point where I had to do something. Like at that point, it was about myself. It was about my own survival. You know, and it was about looking out for me. Had it not been for my mom, it definitely wouldn't have ended that way. You know, she gave me the courage to leave. I had the support from her to do that. It was when I left the situation that I realized how he had been treating me, you know, and how this is not how a relationship should be. Since then, I've had meaningful relationships. They ultimately end. And it's been 
like 13, 14 years since I've been divorced. He married the person that he was cheating on me with. The hardest part is having that courage to act on your inner fears. That is the hardest part. This was the first time in my life that I really had to do that. And I've seen other women in these situations and that is the hardest part to leave a bad situation, especially in a relationship because there's so much tangled up. You've been with this person for so long and then you have all your other anxieties and insecurities and you don't realize how everything is bundled together until you leave the situation and realize that you're not happy that this is not how you want to be treated and you have to stand up for yourself you know and if it's in relationships if it's in your workplace if we communicate in the right way in a direct way in a way that we respect ourselves then you would never end up in a bad situation because either the relationship won't last because you're standing up for yourself or you don't even enter that relationship because you realize you just don't match up. It's when you come to that realization and you are in a relationship or you are in a job that you're not happy with, it's just getting over that fear and trying the new thing. And for me, it's always been a battle of, I am a thoughtful person. When I am in a relationship, I'm very giving. I want to show that person how much I care about them. But there is a point of too much. There is a point of smothering. Once you need that right balance of the person showing that back to you. Otherwise, it's just one-sided. And in this marriage, it definitely was one-sided. But it's knowing when to let go. It's knowing when, okay, I'm not getting anything out of this job. I'm not learning anything new. I'm not getting anything from this person. It's all one-sided. I'm giving everything and they're not giving anything back. Everything is a give and take. Everything is a balance. But it all starts with communication. Thank you for listening to an episode of Cat the Baker. I'm Chef KB. Until next time. Please join me on Instagram at Chef KB or on YouTube at Kathy Baker. 